0: Well, again, a warm, warm welcome to each of you on this beautiful winter day. And uh, also, it's uh, Transfiguration Sunday. We'll hear, you've heard that story read already. And it's Mardi Gras Sunday. Mardi Gras is actually on Tuesday. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday. And it's the day that we eat all the sugar and butter and all the sweets and everything to prepare for our sacrifices and our, our fasting for Lent. And so today's, uh, we've had a tradition of celebrating Mardi Gras Sunday here for a number of years, and grateful for the band, the choir, the musicians, and our music staff for making today uh, such a wonderful day. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we've also been in a sermon series, On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. And On Your Mark was about studying the gospel of Mark. And over these past four weeks, both myself and Pastor Clayton and Alexander Dungan have preached, kind of helping us to see critical stories in the gospel of Mark. Remember, gospel means good news, and uh, Mark is probably the first gospel written around 70 AD, and it's very abbreviated. And so there's a deep sense of urgency. It's very quick, not a lot of flowery language, not a lot of extra stories. it's, It's a book that's trying to get the good news of Jesus to us and to that early church community as soon as possible so there's a deep sense of kind of urgency and running and immediacy and throughout the gospel you will see the word suddenly urgently immediately there is this deep sense of moving quickly through the ministry the healing uh, the baptism all of those things ultimately to the portrayal and the crucifixion of Jesus. And you'll remember that Mark has several possible endings. And in fact, the, the, the original ending is not really in so well. Remember, they go and leave in terror because Mark wants to leave the question for you and me, how will you respond to the urgent call of Jesus and the promise of resurrection? Will you live in fear or will you live in joy? And for me, today on this Mardi Gras Sunday, on Transfiguration Sunday, that that might be the most important question for all of us as followers of Jesus, amen? Will we live in fear or will we live in joy? Now it's interesting, the story of transfiguration, it's it's really a weird word, metamorpho, which is a Greek word which means transformation or transfiguration. It means a really literal change in appearance. And um, it appears also in Matthew and Luke, but in different places in that in those gospels. For Mark, it's in the dead center of the gospel. And people wonder why is the transfiguration story in the very center? And it's kind of interesting. There's a healing of a blind man. Peter kind of says who he thinks Jesus is, but then he doesn't want Jesus to die and suffer. So remember, he and Jesus have a little spat, frankly. And then we come to this story of the transfiguration. We'll leave this story of the transfiguration, have more debate and controversy about what it means for Jesus to be the Christ or Messiah, and Bartimaeus will be healed, a blind man as well. So it's kind of fascinating that blindness and the disciples not getting who Jesus is is all bridged by this story of transfiguration. In fact, many people believe that Mark wrote with Jesus' ministry in Galilee here, and it's moving along to this urgent place of Galilean ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And then the center story of the transfiguration is the break that then sends Jesus off the mountain toward Jerusalem and ultimately to his betrayal and crucifixion. So we've learned a lot from Mark about urgent faith. But I want to talk a little bit about transfiguration. And I, I, come on, how many of you talk about transfiguration on a regular basis? <laughs> Wouldn't your brother talk about Mardi Gras, right? Chocolate, pancakes, let's go to Walker Brothers, right? You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of experience. But let's talk a little bit about transfiguration or transformation. So this event on a mountain is really perplexing. And I want to offer two quick stories. When I was in college, I was in campus ministry. And I know you're going to be shocked about this, but in Texas there are mountains where I grew up, right? I know, you're all perplexed. So you're in good spirit with the Transfiguration, right? So on the far, far western edge of Texas, where that little point comes out and there's a city named El Paso, it's actually in the mountain time zone. Um, there are a set of mountains called the Guadalupe Mountains. And in the middle of those mountains, of the southern tip of the Rockies, is a peak called Guadalupe Peak, and that's the highest point in Texas. So if you're on uh, uh, Jeopardy, you'll get that right. Amen, okay? So anyway, in the midst of it, it's really more like desert-like mountains. It's kind of scrub, and there are not a lot of trees, and it's it's beautiful in its own way, right? And when we went on our kind of campus ministry retreat, we ended up in a retreat center in very southern New Mexico, but our retreat leader said, we're going to the mountains in Texas. Now, this is weird. I grew up there. I was born there. I had never been to the mountains of Texas, right? It's a big state, right? I've been to New York more than I've been to Houston, amen, right? Okay. So we went there, and we started this hike, and frankly, it was just typical Texas, shrub, scrub, mesquites, you know, that kind of stuff. It wasn't very beautiful. But suddenly, as we're walking up this mountain, there's a turn and a twist, and then another turn and a twist, and you entered a place called McKittrick Canyon. And if you ever go there, I encourage you to visit, especially in the fall. That's where we were. As you turn the corner of the canyon, the mountain goes up, and suddenly there are maple trees and oak trees that are out of control, and suddenly you feel like you are no longer in Texas, but somehow you have been dropped in Vermont. You know what I'm saying? It was stunning, and I remember going, how can this be? How can this be so beautiful? How can this be so amazing? How did this happen, right? And so I think we need to think about those kinds of kind of shocking, beautiful, glorious experiences to help us grasp the transfiguration because it's a mountain story, right? And there are not many mountain stories in Mark. The others have many mountain stories. Jesus goes there to get away. Jesus preaches on a mountain sermon on the mount. Oh, you're good, right? So we, we know all that. But in Mark, this is the peak of the experience, and it's on a mountain That Jesus experiences a transfiguration. Now, you heard Mark read from Exodus 24, and uh, you can turn to Exodus 24. You can also turn to Exodus 34 in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture. And you'll see these stories of Moses on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, or the law. And on a mountain, the law is received. On a mountain, a cloud comes and overshadows. And on a mountain, Moses experiences the brilliance and glory of God. In fact, in 34, it's so bright and so brilliant that when he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing, right? And it's not a trip to Mario Tricoci, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, he is actually radiant. And I, I don't know about you, if somebody walked in today and their face was, like, glowing, it would be pr- troubling for us, amen, as it was for all the people then. So then Moses had to, you know, get a mask, frankly, a veil, and wear it because people were too shocked seeing him radiant. So that story is important with what happens in the story today. The second story is the mystery, the kind of not being able to figure it out. In Mark, there's a thing called the Messiah or Messianic secret. You know, they don't ever seem to get it. And also Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And part of it is, is that they're confused. They think they get it, but they don't get it. Remember earlier in chapter 8, uh, Peter says something about, you're the Christ. But when Jesus says, well, I must suffer and die, remember Peter gets all over him. And constantly, even at the end of this story, the disciples... Do not seem to understand what kind of Messiah Jesus will be. And it, it, it helps me to kind of get that confusion. If, if, is anybody playing, I know you probably haven't heard of it, this game called Wordle? Yes, Wordle. Uh, anyway, Wordle is a word game that you can play on New York Times. You can go and so forth, and it's five letters And it's really a game of chance, in my opinion, though I like to think I'm brilliant, right? Um, And you put in five letters, and you try to figure it out. It's very complex. If you're bored right now, bring up your phone, and you can play right now. But anyway, Wordle, you think you've got it. And like today, I won't give it away. But today, when I got up at 545, I should have gone immediately to prayer, but I immediately went to Wordle, so that's a problem. I, uh, I tried it, and I thought I had it. And I really wanted to get it on the second try. And then it was the third and fourth and fifth and then the sixth. And if you go beyond six, well, it's all over, right? And my nieces decided that we're going to exchange our scores every day. So I feel a lot of pressure. But in the midst of today, I thought I had it on three and then I didn't. So I kind of get what Peter thinks. He's got a sense of who Jesus is. But like Wordle, he's not really clear fully what it means to be the Messiah as Jesus understands it. So if you have a Bible in front of you, and you do because it's read and in the pew in front of you, or if you brought your Bible, I just want to spend a little time on this story of transfiguration in chapter 9 in Mark. So it's important, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. That six days later is important. You're going to find that in Exodus around Moses, okay? So there's this connection to Moses receiving the law. See it? Hello, are you alive, right? Okay, and, uh, and this story of transfiguration. And Jesus was suddenly transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Better than OxyClean, if you know what I mean, okay? And there appeared to them... Elijah and Moses now it's important Uh, I'll I'll start with Moses first remember we've read from Exodus 24 I've told you about Exodus 34 Moses received the law on the mountain Moses uh, encountered the brilliance and glory of God on the mountain Moses was the great prophet that led the people to freedom so it's important for Moses to be there in fact traditionally that would be a way to point toward the Messiah right So just remember that, that Moses is an important figure here. And the cloud and the brilliance, which I mentioned earlier, connect here, okay? The other one there is Elijah. And Elijah is considered the great prophet as well. And Elijah will come and be present as a way to say that the Messiah is soon to arrive. Remember, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, in Face It, our sermon series. Elijah encountered God in a still small voice on a mountain, right? This is all intentional, right? Good. So Elijah and Moses are there, which already tell us something about who Jesus is, and they're talking to Jesus. Now what's interesting is, in all of Mark, Jesus has feelings, compassion, sadness, anger. He's very engaged with people. He has a lot to say. He's instructive. But here in the story of the transfiguration, Jesus says nothing. He just receives. And suddenly Peter said to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings or three booths or three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. Of course they were, right? I mean, if someone next to you in the pew lit up right now and was brighter than OxiClean, would you not be a little frightened? Amen? So these folks are terrified, and Peter makes a suggestion. He says, let's build three booths, or three shelters, or three tabernacles, or in one translation, three memorials. He basically wants to open a museum with a curio shop. You know what I'm saying? He wants to memorialize it here in the glory and brilliance of God, and in the brilliance of Jesus, because he doesn't know what else to say. Now, his use of the word shelter or booth is important, and I'm sure you've already put this together, because there's a festival in the fall in Judaism called the Festival of booths isn't that amazing sometimes called the festival of shelters sometimes the festival of tabernacles and often called sukkot okay and it's if you have jewish neighbors you know that they often will build a shelter in the backyard or on their balcony and they will live there or at least eat there during this season of the festival of tabernacles which is a sign of god leading the israelites through the wilderness to freedom right So so this connection to Moses and Elijah and Peter not knowing what to say, he just says, let's celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. Let's open a museum. You can run the curio shop. We'll never leave, and this will work out beautifully. Amen? And frankly, if you've ever been in a mountaintop experience where things are beautiful and quiet and peaceful and you feel close to God... And you know down the mountain there's your job and down the mountain is your kids and down the mountain is your conflict and down the mountain is, and you know what I'm saying, a war in Ukraine. I'd like to stay up here. I'd like to be right here. I'd like to live in the brilliance and glory of Jesus. I'd like to stay right here. But Mark is intentional, because suddenly, after Peter's architectural plans for the gift shop had been laid out, a cloud, are you surprised? A cloud overshadows all of them, and from the cloud there came a voice, and this is what God had to say. This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Now it's interesting, God appears in a cloud, just like God was in a cloud leading the israelites from egypt to freedom amen you remember that cloud and it's also the same cloud that when moses went up on the mountain to receive the law the brilliant cloud came down on the mountain amen so a cloud appears and god said this is my son the beloved i really love him listen to him now there's something interesting god has spoken from the sky before to jesus anybody remember at his baptism right he appears in the form of a dove but there he says You are my son, the beloved, right? With you, I am well pleased. So they have a personal conversation. But here, God doesn't really need to speak to Jesus. God wants to help Peter, the disciples, and all those gathered figure out who Jesus really is. You remember from the first sermon in this series, the disciples in Mark are often the church, and that's you and me. So often we don't get what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus is And God reminds us, this is my son, the beloved. So not only have we heard that he's the Messiah, we've heard that he's the son of God. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And then suddenly they had to go down the mountain. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone. And that's always surprising to us because if you'd had that kind of experience, wouldn't you want to post it on Instagram and let people know, hey, I saw God today, right? But Jesus knows that they don't really get it yet, right? And we'll see that in the next few chapters. And we'll see that when Peter betrays Christ. And we'll see that when the disciples flee. And we'll see that when Judas turns in Jesus, right? I mean, all of that will be clear. And, and what Jesus is saying in this story is, you will not understand resurrection if you do not understand crucifixion. You will not understand the power of new life if you have not known the journey of suffering and the journey of sacrifice. Mark's urgency to let the church know that is intentional. And then there's a discussion about Elijah, which we'll save for another day. I think this story is a critical story for us as we point toward Lent. Because it asks you and me the question, do we understand what it means to follow Jesus the Christ? Do we know what it means to walk the way of Jesus? Are we ready to go down this Lenten journey? And will it be different for us this year? Are we as committed to Jesus as we can be? Have we really renewed our faith in Jesus? Is Jesus a convenience or is he our savior? Amen. Too often we squeeze Jesus in when it's convenient. Too often we go to church when it works for us. So sometimes we don't make time to serve others because we have filled our calendar with so many other things. Not necessarily bad things, but things that help us and again remind us that we are maybe not clear about what it means to follow this Messiah. So on this Mardi Gras Sunday, we celebrate the goodness of God. Amen? We celebrate the glory and brilliance of God. Amen? Amen. But we also are troubled as we come down that mountain, as Mark says, urgently. Because Jesus is saying, do you really know who I am? And as we enter these 40 days together, will you really commit yourself to be a disciple of Jesus? Those things continue to challenge Peter and James and John and every other disciple. Because you know in the gospel of Mark, disciples are the church. And the church is you and me.